Cats and kittens. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, cats and kittens from sunny Staten Island on an abnormally warm September day. I did a, a complete rip and roar this morning. That's a morning program, Jason, <clears throat> where I wake up and immediately make coffee and immediately exit the household. I immediately exited the household into the Herculean Drive, that is the BQE, to be here in Staten Island, home of the highest Italian-American per capita relation uh, people, uh, people in the world, right here <laughs> in Staten Island. I'm with the great, the one and the only. He's a blessed man. He's a holy man. He's a monster-talented man. He's the sweetest man. His name is Jason Wexler. He is a pizza bagel, half-Jew, half-Italian. He's a dear <laughs> friend of mine. But more importantly, I want to start, Jason, with your wife. She is an angel, a real life angel. Yeah. True. She, a real angel. She has a job where she helps people mm -hmm. in an incredible way. True. That probably people don't even know about, right? She is, a, she, she also has an ability to make people open up and start talking incredibly. Look at Jason's like, use your words. Use your words. <laughs> And so I was thinking about her on the way down because you and I share that in common. We're both married to amazing women. Yeah, people that actually contribute to society. People that contribute <laughs> to society. Jason and I will be hanging out in Cape Cod, eating lobster, mm -hmm. drinking beer, and whining about a sound check when they're doing real jobs. So <laughs> what's it like living with a real-life angel? Amanda Wexler. She probably doesn't even want me to drop her full name. But tell, tell the people what she does and then what it's like living with her. Uh, I mean, she's amazing. She uh, she works in drug treatment. She's a social worker, so she just you know helps people get out of probably the worst situations that they're ever in and try to come out on the other side and get back to normal, healthy life. You know, specifically people who are recovering from addiction, right? Yes, addiction, alcoholism, all that kind of stuff. And this is probably like. A unbelievably high percentage of people using like methamphetamines and oxycod and like heroin-based drugs right here, yeah. right? Staten Island is like a it's super be the hub right now, but yes. I mean, New York in general also is just crazy. And so she's doing that. She's doing real work, <laughs> and then here we are in Jason's super modern studio. He has. Two computer monitors, just like the Onion article. He is not fucking around. He has two <laughs> huge monitors. He has the tiniest speakers that you would think you go to a studio and you have like cool big speakers. He has tiny speakers. And then he has quality, not qu quantity. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I respect that. Good call. And he has his keyboards. And he, we were just talking that this is, this is the modern day studio. Production studio. Yeah. Jason just said to me, all I need... Is a microphone. He doesn't have guitar amps. We don't have, you don't even have an amp. You have, there's no amps in here. Tell us about no. your studio and kind of its function for your productions. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's mainly used as like an overdub studio kind of a thing. Um, we can't track a band in here. We can't track live drums in here. I'm really only running um, a two input audio interface. So, I mean, 
basically what we're doing is using it for overdub stuff, doing a lot of MIDI stuff, uh, vocals. I've, I've recorded horns and strings in here. Um, generally, if I'm doing bass or guitar, we're going direct in. We're using amp simulators and, you know, um, yeah, occasionally we run through some run through some other gear. I have a Universal Audio 710 Twinfinity preamp that we can we use for bass sometimes or or guitar just to warm things up a little bit. Um, it's getting hella technical over here. <clears throat> but that's you know that's the general thing. We I have a tube mic I use on almost everything a Perlman Perlman mic, and we have a couple others that if we need to we can pull them out. But that's that's the whole the whole deal. This is it. Part. This is the modern studio. You can you could create the whole sound of a whole band right here. Yes. On a computer. Mm-hmm. You could email this track all the way across the country to someone in LA. Yeah. Who works on the track, sends you backs, vocals, lyrics, mixes, anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you really don't need much. A functioning computer and a good audio interface and a good microphone and you're good to go. What did what like brought you to get into production? What inspired you to get involved in this side of the music business um you know it was something i was interested in in college and then i kind of just stopped worrying about it or doing it and for a while i had no audio software at all and then i uh i bought a macbook pro and was like you know what i i bought a new laptop i'm gonna buy buy an interface and buy logic and see what happens and then within a couple weeks of buying all that stuff i produced my first track um, for an artist I still play with a lot, Mary C. The great, holy, amazing Mary C. That's right. Um, and then, you know, we did a whole bunch of music together right away within the first few months of me having all this stuff. So it was kind of like I bought it and had to learn it immediately and just started. Immediately implemented usage of this. I watched a stuff. lot of YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? That's interesting. And I. I always talk about this with other musicians. The difference between the upbringing of a keyboard player and a guitar player, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I got a Talkboy. That was my first recording device. Mm-hmm. I would like record acoustic guitar vocals simultaneously. Yeah. Then I graduated from the Talkboy, and I got like a Fostex four-track. Same sort of thing, though. It's real time. And I, I did mild. I didn't understand overdubbing. I didn't mm-hmm. really. I was like, this is, this is completely unnecessary. We would always kind of like track stuff live. And I feel like guitar, you know, and so I didn't necessarily have like a formal training. Whereas keyboard players, you guys are like, you yeah, learned. For the most part. I mean, especially I feel like a, a lot of keyboard players are coming from childhood piano lessons. So you are learning by ear, you're learning by reading music and learning classical and all that stuff before you even get to like actual creative music, you know? So when did you start doing creative music kind of as childhood piano guy? You played saxophone? Yeah, I played saxophone in school. You grew up in a musical household? Probably high school, you know, when, when it's like jazz band becomes a thing in high school where they're like, all right, improvise, do your own thing. That's probably where it all kind of was like, oh, I don't have to just play Mozart. You don't just have to play Mozart. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so 
You didn't really start improvising until high school jazz band. Probably. Were you in a couple rock bands though? Yeah, in high I mean, I would say I for, I don't remember exactly when. Maybe you were like, in a very famous Staten Island. Maybe in like tenth grade, a, a bunch of my friends and I started like a cover band, and we would just play local, local rock clubs, I guess. If you and that's consider. would you be improvising? Yeah, and, and so then like, and then that's you know that brings in the whole like learning how to learning how to learn music off of a recording mm-hmm. and coming up with, as a keyboard player, coming up with sounds. And I did it, you know, probably for uh, the first six months or so on like a $300 Casio whatever using like general MIDI horrible sounds <laughs> until I was like, I need to figure out how to purchase a real keyboard. So what was your first real keyboard? My first real keyboard was the first generation Roland Phantom. The first generation Roland Phantom, which is like we're talking early two thousands keyboard or late yeah probably late 90s, no, this is yeah this is probably ex- two thousand exactly somewhere two thousand exactly somewhere so was this there. the flagship keyboard you weren't you were like I'm gonna drop yeah like a back then crazy I, I probably was like two thousand dollars you know approaching twenty years ago which was a lot of money that's a lot of money for a yeah. keyboard um, but I used that thing for I don't even know I probably used it for six or seven years at least as my basically my only keyboard. That was your working keyboard. Yeah. This is probably right when so you get you fall in love with jazz. All young musicians we take this mm-hmm. you, you fall in love with jazz. Yep. You say there's a moment where you're in your life, you're like, I'm going to do this as a job. I'm gonna go to college for this. Mm-hmm. What did your parents say right then? They were totally into it. They, they were like, be a musician, go they, to They college. were like, we didn't spend all this money on all these piano and saxophone <laughs> lessons so you could throw it away. Go go for it. So you're in love. You're studying jazz. You went to school where? Uh, I went to Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey, Mason Gross School of the Arts. It's like, a, you know, kind of, it's a, a BM program. Bachelor. Bowel movement. Yes. <laughs> yes. A uh, Bachelor of Music, which is completely useless and... Yes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> to all the young musicians. To all the young musicians. Don't Don't, don't waste $100,000 on a bachelor of music. <laughs> <laughs> just just start playing. But at the same time, you need that. Probably you, yeah, me. You know, it's, it's helpful because then you have four years of just having to practice all day, every day without having to also worry about like you're just at home practicing while people are like, maybe you should get a job. You're like, no, I'm actually in school. No, this is my job. I'm yeah. spending $100,000 to practice for four hours a day. Yeah. Did you really practice for four hours a day? Were you super disciplined about your practice? Yeah, your I mean, I, I'd say my first year, I didn't maybe quite get that much, two hours, three hours. And then as I went through, I'd, I maxed in my third year of college at like five hours almost every single day. Whoa. And well, then I think I kind of, I think I burnt myself out a little bit and pulled it way back in my senior year. Your senior year. Now, during this time period, let's say you're practicing jazz for mm-hmm. X amount of hours a day. Is this when you started to, were you always doing rock bands on the side and popular music? Or did you become militant about doing the jazz thing and classical thing? Or like, what was your vision of yourself as um, an artist performer at that point? In time? I was kind of doing both. I, you know, I was doing a little bit of jazz stuff outside of school, ton in school, obviously. Um, and... The high school rock band kind of did one or two more shows after we were all in college, but that was really it. But then starting in my second year of college, I started uh, playing with Julius C., which was Uh, a band I played with for a long time. 
um, which was, you know, really just a rock, funk, pop kind of a thing. And that was really my main thing all the way through the rest of college and even the probably four or five years after college. Yes. So this is, that was, that was always a big part of your life. Then. Mm-hmm. That's writing songs. Yeah. Hanging writing, out with these writing, guys. Arranging. Drinking massive amounts of beer. And <laughs> chasing gigs and yeah. ladies, just babes, hanging off you all the time. I understand that's, that was the allure of rock and roll. Yeah. Was no always babes. with you. <laughs> No, but so you never had the, you never had the, the, uh, you never were like, I'm going to be Chick Corea or I'm going to be. No, I feel like that whole world excited me, but I also was, it was not, it wasn't my favorite thing. And I also think I was trying to be somewhat realistic in, if you're going to be in that world, you have to make that your entire life. And even then the chance of being, you know successful enough to make an actual career and living off of playing creative music is, you know, extraordinarily challenging. Yes, probably, yeah. It's, Even it's if you're, like, top... Daunting. You know, the top 5% of all the people doing that, it's like, you know, you're making a middle-class living. <laughs> so do you think that then you... Well, I feel like you people, and when I say you people, I mean people who grew up in the metropolitan area... Mm-hmm the concept of being a professional musician was already deconstructed for your brain. You were like, so did you, did you envision like doing sideman gigs and teaching and doing recordings? Not really. I feel like, I feel like the, I mean, for, for a few years, even out of college, it was just like, no, this is Julie C was the band I was in. It was, that was what I was doing. Yes. Like we're going to be famous and we're going to take over the world. Yeah. 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 And of course, you know, when you're 22, that that's obviously going to happen. (laughs) <laughs> and then as you approach your mid-20s and late-20s, you're like, maybe this isn't going to happen. I should probably find a way to, you know, support my life and instead of barely scraping rent every month. <laughs> oh, I laugh hard because it's so true. I know that feeling. You're like, yeah, obviously, I'm just going to be a rock star. I'm going to be in The Killers. I'm going to be John Mayer. I'm going to be touring in arenas devastating the world and then all of a sudden you're like okay this is still cool I'm still happy to be making music and being creative while we look at our wives doing these incredibly adulting sort of gigs right and you're Mm -hmm. like I think I'll keep doing music so you graduated you were teaching always teaching yeah I was I was teaching at a school for a long time um right near Rutgers because I started teaching while I was still in college and I still do some piano lessons now, just on kind of my own thing. Yeah. And then so like you just alluded to, Julia C., you're like, I got to check out other livings, other ways to make incomes. This mm-hmm. is how you kind of be, were like, okay, I'm going to produce. The first artist you produced, you bought this studio. You bought, you produced Mary C., mm-hmm. who is a titan of New York City singing and event planning. She's... One of the sweetest human beings on earth. Yeah, and a ridiculous all. singer. A ridiculous singer. Like a cool 70s soul style singer. Which led you to working with other amazing singers. I noticed on yeah. your list too, bro. Just, you know, they're almost all female singers. So, yeah, you know, proclivity I mean, it's toward. It's, it's, it's a, for some reason, I to guess, most with of the, the artists that I've worked the with. The diva, yes. You're a, a manager <laughs> of diva talent. You know what I mean? You know. What? That's how it goes. <laughs> He's like, well, duh. It's duh. Uh, obvious. Well, it's 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 a particular skill set. 
Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, dealing with divas is, a, I, I had to, I feel like I had to learn. You know, I, when I first started, I was only working with men. Men, male, male stuff. Like, well, yeah, I feel like, but that's, you're coming from a much more like rock world, yes, I feel it's like. Yes, true. You know? It's rock. And for me personally, I think you were the one who was like, we were, uh, we used to tour and I used to, you know, sit in a van with Jason and then we started, it was all boys. It's the boys program. It's, you know, completely vulgar. The odor is atrocious. <laughs> There's just leftover food. And Jason helped me get involved working with female artists and touring with female artists. Mm -hmm. And I very clearly remember you being like, oh, it's way better. It's just like, they don't fart, dude. You know? <laughs> it's like you're well, lying. Yeah, and like, then I was like, like there's no, a little balance. totally right. Yeah, there's, and is... there's a balance. Like, normal life happens instead of bro life at all times. <laughs> it's not just bro on bro. Yeah. Dudes, yeah. Balls everywhere! <laughs> you know, you have to balance that energy. It's very true, right? Yes. And you, I very clearly remember you. Because I almost, I, I thought for a period that, you know, like, the uh, the very masculine, like, rock thing, it's like a, a pirate ship. It's only supposed to be dudes. It's like, what, you know, but then it's 2017. Now, yeah, no, it took, <laughs> it took me a long time. I'm telling you, my, my path is very slow. I'm on a very slow path. Now I'm like, I can't imagine touring with just dudes. Like, dude, why are you why are you relieving yourself so much in my presence? Just if you tell your body to not <laughs> fart so much, it won't. I swear to God, you can you can alter the the way your system works. It's a real thing, you know. Anyway, so you're producing all these Paul Madison female bio, biology professor. <laughs> well, I could, you know, I feel like that's part of my education. Anatomy one hundred and one. Anatomy one hundred and one. I teach how guitar. To hold in your farts. How to hold in your farts? How to masturbate better, longer, with more production. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, that leads us into so. See, Alice Tanlitu will definitely never make it this far in the podcast. So that leads us to probably one of the most famous people that you work with in terms of. Her longevity on the scene. Mm -hmm. uh, she, as well, is a sweet, wonderful person. Jason yeah. works with an artist named Alice Tan Ridley, who mm -hmm. became famous specifically through America's Got Talent. Yeah, she came in, I think she was somewhere in the top 20 or so in America's Got Talent. Uh, a little while back at this point. Yeah, probably but 10 years has, ago. Maybe. She's been singing in the subway her whole life. She's in her, she's in her 60s, um, and she... I think she'd been singing in the subway for 30 years or something like that. 30 years. Something crazy like that. Yes. Making, I think making a good portion of her living by just singing in the subway. And she has a very famous daughter. Yes. Her daughter, uh, Gabore Sidibe, I believe. Yes, that's, that's a very difficult name to it's pronounce. It's hard to pronounce. But she's, uh, you know, she's she starred in the movie Precious. Um, she's in Empire. So, you know, gotten a... That's her, super, yeah, she's, like, super famous. I yeah. follow her on Instagram. I don't know how to say her name, but I always see her <laughs> pictures. And, like, you know, your normal Instagram life, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, someone has, like, 79 million likes. I'm like, who? Oh, that's, oh, that's who that is. Okay. Yeah. So she's super famous. Um, Alice is her mother. Her mother. And you met Alice, I assume, through the perennial presence of Jay Stolar. Yes. Uh, Jay Stolar, who I've who is in Julius C and who I still play with now under his new project's names, just Stolar. Um, he met 
Alice's manager, Devere Asseline. Um, I forget exactly how they met, but uh, they got to talking about working with Alice and recording and stuff. And at that point, Jay and I had been doing a lot of our production work together. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we worked with Devere to come up with a plan and put together a band. And we tracked her debut album while she was already in her early 60s. Um, Amazing. Which was super exciting for her and for everybody. And now it's been out. And The album is technically out. The album's out. Is it on a distribution sort of situation? I or? think it's everywhere. I think it's just everywhere. You know, on iTunes and wherever, wherever music is. And she's still singing in the subways. She's she still sings in the subways, but then she also has, like, these crazy, you know, touring things that she does. Right, where you get, she, like, flown to crazy yeah, places, Yeah, I mean, she, right? she for a while was touring with the Cab Calloway Orchestra. Um, she does her own thing. I've done some shows with her in the Midwest, in Florida. Um, she did her album release at the Highline Ballroom. Um, she's been doing a... A tribute to Whitney Houston as a duet with Ayana Irish mm-hmm. um, that I've been MDing and helping Devere kind of put together also, um, which he, you played on. Yep. I was lucky <laughs> enough to be a part of that band, amazing yeah. band. We should appreciate Whitney's music at a level that I never actually <laughs> thought I would understand Whitney Houston. Uh, but, dude, but I feel, what's that? there's one of those tunes. There's a few Whitney tunes that I just, now I hear them and I'm feeling incredibly open. I'm like, yes, (laughs) Whitney, you know, and only because of that and because of you and because of Alice and because of the amazing Ariana Irish. Yeah. So let's play a track that you produced off Uh, of Alice Tan Ridley's record. Yeah, this is a track I co-produced with Jay Stolar. I wrote all the horn arrangements. Uh, We, this was kind of like, we wrote. We arranged the whole thing before we even stepped into the studio, and then we got a live band uh, and basically tracked the whole thing live, including Alice's vocals. Most of the rec- most of the vocals on this record were recorded live with the band in the studio. That's awesome. Was it tracked to tape, or was it just tracked digitally? No, this was this was all tracked digitally, um, straight into Pro Tools. Yeah. Um, but so not much of it was edited, adulterated, it's pretty raw, it's pretty It's pretty real. raw. You know, we went back after, I mean, Alice tracked nine vocals, multi multiple takes on nine separate songs in one day. So we went back and did a little bit of overdubbing and whatever, but uh, I'd say at least half the record, the vocals were all from live takes with the band in the studio in that one day, yes, which is ridiculous. No singers ever do that. She has one of the most powerful voices probably even in the business, we can say, right? She's a monster. She's amazing. Have you ever heard her lose her voice or anything? Does, uh, she, does she sing I, to the point when where she, she loses sings, her when voice? When she sings in the subway for three or four hours, the next day she, she needs a break. She can't do that more than one day in a row. <laughs> three or four hours. Yeah, all you listeners, go try to sing for four hours <laughs> and then sing the next day. Yeah, that's that's like a real, like, and I, and that takes years. That's like years of singing and crushing your voice, and all of a sudden you have this crazy strength that only super singers like she does, yeah. you know? So try, I think of these male singers like Jay. No, yeah, it's it's Can very, Jay sing for four no, hours? No, very, like, very few singers no way, can, can, can function this way, you yes. know? It's... Ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. So this is Never Lost My Way off of Alice uh, Tan Ridley's debut record. Hit it!
I'm coming fast, you better get out of my way. Nothing lasts, and if I did, I lost it anyway. Never, never lost my way. I lost my lover and I lost my job, but I know I'm doing fine. I don't know where I left my problems, but they probably with my Never lost my way You see me coming and I'm coming fast You better get out of my way Cause I keep moving You played keys on that track. I did, yeah. I played keys on on the whole record. I mean, it's you know, it's mostly piano, organ, Rhodes. It's all the it's know, all the tradition, all the old school. There's a little bit of Mellotron here and there Ooh. that we put on real there. Mellotron. No, no, okay, no, all right, no I real see. Mellotron. I don't Sorry know. for talking like that. <laughs> this I, I wish that I had a real Mellotron, but you 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 could see the amount of space I have in here. We're not we're not <laughs> well. The amount of time I would use the real Mellotron, I think. It wouldn't be worth it. You're no, right. No, no, dude. I'm trying. I'm trying to sell all of these guitars. I only need two. I need a strategy. Yeah, I've already. Des- I decided recently that four keyboards is what four. It, your is max what, is what I need. I, I, if I need more than four, that's a little silly. And you I don't, don't really. Need, I don't. I don't have the space. But for it. he says that everybody. Jason Wexler says that he only needs four keyboards. But how many keyboards are actually in this beautiful Staten Island home right now? 13, I mean, I really have like four. 15. I have three MIDI controllers that I don't need that I should probably sell, but I have four three actual mi- keyboards. Three MIDI controllers that I really four should. But I have four keyboards. actual keyboards that I that I use. I have a Nord Electro, a Nord Stage, I have a Dave Smith uh, Prophet Rev 2, and I have a Roland Gaia. Those are my... What's f- the Roland Gaia? I've never even heard of that one. 
Uh, it's like it's a little synth. It's you know. It's like the little mini. No, it's it's a uh, got full size keys. It's you know. I forget exactly how many keys. I don't use it that often anymore, but uh, it's cool. It's got some serious super saw, like huge pop synth stuff. Mm. It's not warm or it's, you know, it's very digital, <laughs> but it's cool. Keys, 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 and more keys. Yeah. And he also has cool guitars. You have three guitars. You have a Stratocaster, the crucial mm -hmm. studio guitar. We have the jazz box and then... Today I get here, <clears throat> and I hang at Jason's, I try to get here and just hang, and he has a cool Gibson Melody Maker from the 60s that was his dad's, that has flat wands on it, that is probably, it's just a specimen of beauty, it's insanely gorgeous. <laughs> He's just like, oh yeah, that's just been in the basement, this relic, beautiful 60s Gibson, you're, Jason, you're, what else is in that basement? Do you have like, uh, nah, like other else. hidden treasures, like a Steinway? From no, I got I got some old broken keyboards that I should probably just throw away. <laughs> old music. Gear. I probably have my old Phantom from two thousand and one or whatever. <laughs> yeah, do you, you still probably do have those keyboards? And it doesn't work anymore. That's the only reason why I stopped using it. it just one day I turned it on and it was like, nope. <laughs> Will that keyboard ever come back in vogue? Like these no. '90s keyboards? I don't think that that one will because it's really I mean all those early workstations are just worse sounding versions of modern workstations yes <laughs> so if you were going to do that you'd be better off buying something more more current yeah that's a that's a that's a difficult thing as keyboard players it's such oh, yeah. a it's like buying a computer it's, it's going to be worth computer. it's going to be worth nothing it's going to be literally worth nothing yeah exactly this Nord eventually be, will be worth nothing, and it's like yeah, five thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, they, the Nords return, retain their value longer, I think, than a lot of other yeah other keyboards, especially in New York, because because everybody if you play loves keyboard in small. New York, you probably own a Nord. Yeah, interesting. So you know, it's even like that's my four keyboard rule. When the Nord Stage Three comes out, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be selling my Electro <laughs> to make room for that. Selling the Electro, moving into a new keyboard. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> I'm so thankful. This is what, like, part of what can make you such a wonderful producer is that your ability to... Jason, for the listeners, is a complete problem solver. You can tackle all problems. <clears throat> we were on a tour together where he was the TM, constantly solving problems, dealing with... F Four different bands on tour together at the same time. Yes, how many... <clears throat> I was I sh there's a there was a lot of large personalities on the tour. There were eight of us in one van. <laughs> eight people in one van. Four men, four women. Four men, uh, two headliners with two opening acts, and it was it was you know probably the most work most like work that I most work that felt like work <laughs> that I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> That's such. I thank you people for doing the TMing thing because that, that that is an incredibly stressful. Yeah, I one. never need to do that again. Yeah, you're like, uh, oh, we're good. I'll, I'm good. I'll TM for one artist at a time, maybe, but that's that was. <clears throat> yeah, you and then you had, yeah, that was a lot, and that sort of like problem solving leads you to be able to help solve other problems, which I feel like, in a way, besides the creative part of production, it's like you're. Yeah. Solving problems. I feel like I feel like a big How is part this of song going to be cool. A big part of production and arranging is like tr almost treating it as if it's a puzzle and figuring out like what pieces you need, what pieces you don't need, and making sure that the final picture looks like something that actually makes sense that people want to 
check out. Yeah. No, that's a very challenging thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which leads to some other productions that maybe you're checking out. You were working with this chick you and Jay were working with. And I was also really saying that I'm trying to remove uh, gender from all of my speech. And I just referred to this young woman as a chick. And that could be a mildly offensive term. So uh, this young <laughs> badass, uh, she, I, I met her. <clears throat> as a camper on the camp tour. Yeah, the Julius C. Summer Camp Tour. Julius Rockstar C. Camp Tour. Rockstar Camp Tour! Coming to your town, rocking out. Everybody lock your doors <laughs> because it's about to go down. This this person was just a regular camper. Mm -hmm. You guys kind of started working with her, developing her as an artist, and yeah. now she's like, is, uh, is she super famous? Do like everybody she, know her she's name? She's pretty famous. She's got... Many millions of plays on Spotify. She's That's doing, very she's, impressive. She's doing pretty well. Um, her name is uh, Caroline Pennell. Yeah, and yeah. Jay Jay Stoller and I co-produced her first EP, which was back when I think she was just still in high school. Maybe she was like fifteen. Yes. She's like a Jersey girl. And, yeah, and she uh, we did this EP that her parents kind of funded for her, and mm -hmm. because of that EP. She was able to get in a like a preferred audition on The Voice, and she came pretty close. On the Voice. It's maybe fifth or sixth, something mm. like that, when she was on The Voice. Pretty, pretty, definitely. I think top ten, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you know we did a little bit of touring with her after the fact, and then she kind of moved to LA and decided to make this her legit thing. Did she go to college for music? No, she went for a very short time, I think, and then decided that that's just bullshit. She, yeah. she was like, "I am gonna do the artist thing while I'm young." How old is she now? She's probably in her early twenties. Mm, yeah, maybe I forget somewhere around twenty, twenty-one, maybe. Yeah, she's that young. I think so. Wow. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. No, I, I'm feeling my age at this exact moment because <laughs> yesterday I had a student. Who was like, I'm, I have their student's brother. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, well, you taught hit my older brother. I was like, oh, yeah, how's he doing? How's college? Is he all right? And he's like, oh, he, he graduated from college. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> nah, dude, what? He's like, yeah, no, he's been out of college for two years. He has a job now. I was like, for real? <laughs> wow, cool. Yeah. Well, send him my love. So this is why and I was protecting myself because I'm like, maybe Carolyn is like 27 now. No, I don't think so. I think she's... I think she's still college age. College age, she's a, a bad bird. She's just crushing it. Yeah, she's amazing. And then our dear friend, you did her whole record. She's another, she's just a badass. She's mm -hmm. like super Pilates, super babe who posts super gorgeous pictures online that so much so my other friends are like, yo, who is this super gorgeous blonde babe? And I'm like, that is Kate Merrill, dude. Mm -hmm. And she is... A monster of the midway. She's from Maine, which She's from Maine immediately makes her like just tough. Yeah, you know, like you don't you don't fuck with a Maine. You know what I mean? <laughs> she eats lobster. She'll crush lobster's head off. She, how did you get to meet Sweet Kit? Um, she was doing some like acoustic gigs around Staten Island, and one of her best friends is uh, Anne Marie Castellano, who uh, who's your homegirl? Who I've known since high school. Um, she's a G in the Staten Island scene. She's also a totally ridiculous singer. Um, and she, uh, Kate was looking for a piano player to do some of these duo gigs with her, and Anne-Marie was like, hey, you should ask Jason to do this. 
so she and I did some duo gigs together and we got to talking about recording stuff and then we did we did a five song EP together and then we came back and we did another single a few months later mm. so um and yeah it was it was fun it was the first time I think it was the first time I she and I co-wrote every single song on the out of the six songs we've done together we co-wrote all of them from scratch um and arranged them together and we recorded all of them right here everything yeah. everything on that on on all six of those songs were was recorded right here in the studio does your studio have a name jason did your production company uh, have a yeah, name? Yeah, I mean, we call you. I usually call it 360 Studios. 360 Studios. You know. I like that. It's a good name. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, it was all done here. All the vocals. We did backing vocals here. We did bass. We did guitar. You played guitar on. I got I, yes. That was, any, was I played guitar on one track. I believe it. Uh, you know, like one note at a time, kind Ooh. of. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anything that took actual legitimate guitar playing. <clears throat> Got the P. Maddie. Oh, the P. Maddie, the P. Maddie special. P. Maddie wow. I'm humbled. Strat special. <laughs> yes. I'm going to interject for one point, yeah. Jason, because you're a metropolitan New Yorker. Mm-hmm. What Jason was just saying, he met Kate in Staten Island. In a normal sized city in America, yeah. there is like one music scene. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say Syracuse, Rochester. You have like the 30 to 50 people that are involved in the music scene. Yeah. Jason said in Staten Island. Now, in metropolitan New York, what I have found, what was eye-opening to me is that New York is so big that each borough and sections of boroughs, let alone the suburbs, let alone Long Island, let alone Connecticut, oh, yeah. let alone mm-hmm. Westchester, let alone <laughs> the different counties of New Jersey. There's like oh, a yeah. northern and southern Jersey pocket. There are a lot of Jersey scenes. And you're familiar because we're so close, right? Like mm-hmm. you... Yeah. This And then there's... It, so it... That was, like, something that was challenging for me, to. I was like, wait a second, all these people don't actually know each other. No, there's a, there's, it's crazy. Every time I go out and meet new people, I'm like, how do I still not know all the musicians in New York? I like that phrase, like, if, but through conversation, I feel like, you know, you get to be like, there's always, like, a few people that you're like, oh, you know this guy, or, now with social media, right, it's like, oh, we know these cats, or we played these clubs. Yeah. But there are entire scenes that I'm sure we, we don't have, even know we exist. Have no idea that even exist. Yeah, like we were just talking about it with the whole kind of like modern R&B jazz scene that a lot of the mm-hmm. singers that we know that they're in. It's like I don't even I don't even know these cats. I don't even know how to play this style of music. <laughs> what do you? What is this? What we're talking about? Okay, that was a tangent to the sweet Kate. She was, she's the homegirl. Yeah. She's a wonderful person. Yeah. Amena, she was in Colorado for a little while. Mm-hmm. She actually just emailed me. She's like, you got to get me on some wedding gigs. I'm like, well, yeah, well that's she's, not really she's, in my control, she's, she's but been I will in, try. Uh, she's been in Denver for about a year and just like crushing the private event wedding Smoking weed, I assume. Right. Who knows? But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she, uh, she's back in New York as of like now. All right. And so, so you, the track was produced right here. This track's called I'm a Fighter. Tell mm-hmm. us about this track. Uh, well, this is the one that's not on the EP. We did this one as a single later on. And we had kind of done a demo on this one that we used to kind of get the band rocking when we did the EP release show. And then she and I kind of came back to it because everyone, this is the one that resonated with the band the most, I think. Mm. So we were like, let's do this one for real. Uh, and that was really it, you know? It's kind of got like a cool... 
baseline well, groove. You created the tune, to use the phrase, in the box. Mm-hmm. And did she lyricize it, or did she come to you with the lyrics, and you kind of helped flush out the tune? Uh, no. All I'm always the, interested in that part of all, soul writing. Like, every, it, it's the, always different. I'd say all of these kind of have been the same process, more or less, for for Kate and I. We kind of, like, discuss what kind of vibe we want to portray, like what... And maybe we'll come up with a few influences of, like, some songs that we think are cool that are in that vibe, and then we generally write some sort of music first. Music first. We've been doing, like, get a sketch of, like, a full band type thing first in the box, and then uh, we'll write over that. And then once we have the song, we'll go back and actually arrange it for real, because, you know, once we have vocals and lyrics and stuff, everything has to shift around to make sure that it's actually functioning in service to that. And you did everything in this track except the bass, if I remember correctly, right? Uh, I think so. I think... I think the only thing that I didn't play on here was the bass. And now, obviously, Kate... Kate did all the vocals. Did all the vocals. Yes. And she's a ham. Like ham as in ham sandwich. <laughs> play the track, baby. Let's hear it. All right, here we go.
girl, y'all. Beautiful voice, beautiful person just in general. She's like a really sweet spirit. Yeah. She's she's awesome. Yeah, she's like kind of, you're just kind of like, wow, you're not real. Like, how are you this cool? Kate Merrill, you met her here in Staten Island, which mm -hmm. now we have to talk about the most important part of Jason Wexler and his upbringing as mm -hmm. an Italian Jew. Culturally, <laughs> you guys, it's the same thing culturally, right? We're into loudness, loud families, even though you're not like the loudest dude ever. No, yeah. Loudness, humor. Guilt. <laughs> guilt, Catholic guilt, Jewish guilt. You're right. They're very good at guilt. Oh yeah. Oh my god. And food, most importantly, right? Yeah. Although I don't know if Jews necessarily are. No, like... dude. Jews have great food. See, that's your Jewishness. Is that you're like already like, oh no, no, man. Like you go to a Jewish deli. It's yes. Some of my favorite food. Sure. Matzo ball soup. I, ju I come I on. Just, I'm just very partial to the Italian food. Well, but, no, know. no, no, no. I mean, Italians who, who, are basically who running isn't? food in the world. Yes. Yeah. But that's Jewish soul food, man. It doesn't get any better than that, you know? Uh, sure. <laughs> well, no, it's a real thing. It's like a thing. Like yes. It's, and it's only around here. A bagel dog? Yes. There's only... New York is the only place to... If you're not in New York, just don't even bother eating a bagel. <laughs> I'm going to tell a quick Jason Wexler story. We were doing a gig together in Dallas. <clears throat> we were playing a New York themed party in Dallas and I didn't even know, I was just waking up. This is a line that like uh, my wife and I say all the time, but we wake up in Dallas and we're outside of the city so we have this beautiful panoramic view and Jason opens the curtains and you can see beautiful downtown Dallas, which is a really, it's a pretty skyline. And Jason, being the most New York New Yorker, <laughs> looks at Dallas and then he goes, there it is. What a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, no city can ever compare to your beloved Ooh. New York. You know what I mean? Because you of grew course. up here uh, looking at the most ridiculous skyline. I mean, what's what's next? Shanghai? I don't no, even yeah, know. Of course. Like, and especially, you know, you're in Staten Island. Like, when you're in New York, you don't see New York. If you're in Staten Island, you you can you see, see New York. New York all the time, yes. Your view, your your public transportation op option into New York is on the Staten Island Ferry, which means for 25 minutes, you're looking at the skyline of New York. You're looking at this... Downtown New York, downtown which is York. incredibly impressive yeah. and beautiful and on the water, mm -hmm. right? Like Dallas is in the middle of the... So, I mean, yes, we're all biased and madly in love with New York and it has the most beautiful... It's incredibly picturesque. It's like an estuary, whatever. Anyway, so that's a funny Jason Wexler story. So I like to look at other cities and just immediately express my New Yorkness because <laughs> even though, you know, just... Orlando, what a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So one of my favorite things about Jay Wexler is that this dude loves food. Uh, you know, everybody loves food. Like, we're humans. We yeah. just like to eat. We're civilized. But no one likes to eat and can eat more than Jason Wexler. This is a man who could eat, like, two full-size Chinese food orders and yet you're still like, you know, 90 pounds or something, but he is getting huge. But let's be real, dude. The amount of food that you pack into your body, mm -hmm. I don't even want to know what happens in the, you know, the bathroom. So like your private scene. Well, you know, it's regardless. The, the, gen the general move every time 
Paul's out here on Staten Island is that we go halvesies on a full pizza. <laughs> just, that's just how we go. Don't tell people that, man. That's the move. It's like... It's like <laughs> That's how we go. Why, are you embarrassed? So, no, no, it's just so gluttonous. It's just like, oh, here we are. Well, two men. Be, it's New York pizza. It's, it's thin New crust. York pizza, it's thin crust. It's not like we're going halvesies on a, you know, a, a stuffed Chicago deep dish or something. That is true. So talk to me about Staten Island and food, though. Give us an insider's view, because you hipped us to the grandma spot, which is out of control. Yeah. Multiple pizza spots. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you think about... Give us your, your top Staten Island insider take on the food thing? Uh, I mean, you know, the Italian food is all ridiculous. So Enoteca Maria, which is the grandma place, mm. they rotate grandmas every night. They rotate the menu depending on which grandma is there, and she's like, she just cooks her stuff. <laughs> and, you, and it's amazing. And you just get what this being cooked. It's amazing, yeah. Um, so that's, that's an amazing spot. Um, there's... Um, Trying to think of what. All right, so here's the real Staten Island question, though. I hear debates between you and your wife. What is your favorite Staten Island pizza? This is a a citywide question that brings up much heated Mm. debate. Yes, I know you have your particular favorite. The the obvious spot that's gotten like the most national coverage is uh, Danino's. Danino's, which is generally our Habsies spot, which is pretty close to where we are right now. (coughs) Um, Yep. Brothers Pizza on Staten Island is. I think they have the best grandma pie. Pretty much in New York. Grandma pie. Yeah. Which is the thin crust square, uh, you know, fresh mozzarella, fresh basil. And then what, Danino's is like street pizza or it's just brick oven pizza? Uh, yeah. I think it's more like, I don't know if it's actually brick oven, but it's like, you know, it's the thin crust what, like. Artisan kind yeah, of pizza, yeah. Um, there's a Jimmy Max, which is right around here. Which, Jimmy Max. Which my wife claims that she thinks is the best pizza. What's that now? Oh my gosh! Looking, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, there. I don't know. There's a lot of. There's a lot of hidden places. There's so much pizza and Italian food that you can't even <laughs> dial it in. No, it's. I can't. <laughs> my my. I'm having trouble even thinking of all the spots. Uh, but yes, and I remember um, always leaving your house and going to Paisano's, and you guys have never even been there. And that I place haven't is, been there. And that, I've heard you said it was great. I was like, this is dude, but just but for when a there's but when there's slice. so much pizza, every there's literally a pizzeria every couple blocks. That's like amazing. So it's, it's probably killing. Yes, yeah. it's there's no shortage of amazing pizza. No, um, you know, and lately there's been a lot of other really good food happening too on Staten Island. So places that I've been meaning to go to that I haven't even gone to that everybody talks about. But it's, it's too much. It's becoming, you know, the north shore of Staten Island is slowly becoming Brooklyn. It really is. That's, yeah. It's really happening. It's happening right before our eyes. Well, in that sense, Jason, you and I, we have to go eat lunch because <laughs> my rough ride down here. You can check Jason Wexler out on jasonwexler.com. Dot com, right? Yep, jasonwester.com. What do you got going in the future? Anything we need to tell the six or seven people that will actually <laughs> listen to this far in? Um, I have like three friends that would check this all the way out. But regardless, what are you going to be, what should we be checking out from Jason Wexler? I know you have a big special pet project that maybe you need to tell us about right now. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's a little silly, but... It's uh, okay. It's okay to be silly. <laughs> But yeah, my son is about to turn three, and kind of when he was an infant, I was going a little stir-crazy, you know, just being by me and him in the house for a while, uh, so I would just come up with some weird songs <laughs> while we were hanging out and just sing him random craziness. So 
while I was doing that, I kind of we kind of were coming up with songs about animals. So I uh, decided that I was going to put out an album of these songs about animals. So I recorded uh, ten songs under the name Jason Amazing. Mm. Uh, I got some amazing artwork for it from Charlene K. Sun Queen Designs. And, the best uh, ever, Charlene. And we, uh, yeah, and I, I released the 10 songs, Jason Amazing. Uh, the record's called The Animals. It's all about animals. And this and, is music uh, specifically geared for children? Yeah. To I be mean, enjoyed by adults? I The idea was I, I'm all of them are slightly educational about animals mm-hmm. and completely absurd. And I while I was doing it, I was like, I want kids to enjoy this, but I want to have some sort of music that parents can listen to without losing their minds having to listen to like this silly kid stuff that is you know totally geared to two-year-olds yes you know? kind of like the the way modern kids movies always have stuff in it for adults mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these songs all you know have a little bit of something something silly that adults can hear that might go over the kids heads a little bit but you know and Jason it... I do remember you telling me that when you were recording these and tracking these that you would literally write, and record the whole song while Charlie was taking a nap so that you could do this in like a half hour or 45 minutes. Well, maybe not that much. I, either he would be taking a nap or sometimes, you know, on on, on a day where uh, probably he started to go into a couple days a week daycare after, you know, when he was close to a year old. So we, I would do some of them on those days or I would do it on a, on a weekend if he was hanging out with his grandparents. I would, but most of these I'd say I wrote arranged, recorded, and mixed in three to four hours each song. Like, from start to finish, I would be completely done in four hours. That's because, amazing. And, and it was because of that. Literally amazing. It was fun. Jason, amazing. Because it was, uh, there was, I just didn't, I, there was no thinking. It was like, mm. I'm just going to go. Whatever happens, happens. You know, which is a little, it's a totally different process than producing a pop song for an artist where, like, each song can take 20 to 40 hours worth of work from start to finish on actually making it. Yeah, you know. And this was, like, four hours start to finish totally done. Four hours start to finish. And can this, can people find this online? Did you get a website? Have you kind of started to develop this project a little bit on your own? Yeah, jasonamazingmusic.com. Hopefully still exists. I haven't done it in a while. But, uh... (laughs) You know, just look at Jason Amazing, The Animals. It's on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, whatever. You know, all the places. Have you performed any of these songs live, Jason? No, I haven't. I don't really have a plan to do that either. No, it's not. It's, it's just not, a, It's not really my style. It's just an audio product. What about a, a music video, maybe, or something like that? Uh, Is that in maybe the Maybe eventually. I, I did do a very crude lyric video for one of the tracks in yes. uh, iMovie <laughs> that's on YouTube. Oh, My cool. Best Friend is a Cow. That one has, you can check that one out on, on YouTube. My Best Friend is a Cow on YouTube. And now, what about this is in the development of this project, like as Charlie, how old is Charlie now? He's almost three. He's almost three. Is Jason Amazing going to evolve <laughs> maybe with Charlie? Like, what happened? What's like? What's a seven-year-old sing about? Like spinners or yeah, like, I, you uh, know who, who knows? Cool I, this Nikes. was as far as I'm concerned. This was a self-contained one album thing, and if I get inspired to do some more, 
great because, you know, the entire album but, only took me about 40 hours to do. 40 hours. <laughs> but now you have, what do you do in the time that you're not working on Jason Amazing? What are you working on? You're back to just working on real pop songs. Yeah, I have to mix songs. this I mean, track. You know, or... And obviously, you and I both do a decent amount of corporate stuff and weddings and whatever. So it's always having to learn music for that, practicing, doing. Yeah. There's. It's never ending. There's never free time. <laughs> there's never free time, of course. I remember, yeah, a professor, an adult, being like, when I get 20 minutes to practice, it's, like, golden. And now I can relate, because you're like, oh. Yeah. You're or like, I like my friend, he's like, I like actual shedding instead of just learning t- pop tunes. Yes. <laughs> learning tunes. Yes. Is that really I'd practicing? 90% I don't know. of practice is learning music right now. Right, you yeah. Know. Well, we're, before we go into the total darkness here, <laughs> check out. <laughs> I, I sense that. Jason Amazing is Jason's solo children's music product, mm-hmm. as the cool word is kindy, right? Kid-friendly sure. indie rock. I don't know. That's a word, a buzzword. Please listen to this track. What track are we going to hear? Well, Jason and uh, I go eat pizza. Listen to this track and this go is, check out jasonamazingmusic.com. This is Kitty Kitty Cat. Kitty Kitty Cat. Everybody enjoy it. We'll talk to you soon. Holla. Touch the sky Kitty kitty cat Tigers and lions Kitty, kitty, cat Meow, meow 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 Kitty, kitty